Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Connexus Incorporated Fiscal 2020 Fourth Quarter Conference Call. At this time, our participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. I'd like to remind everyone that this call is being recorded today, Thursday, March 4th, 2021. I will now turn the call over to Rick Wadsworth, Vice President of Investor Relations at Connexus Incorporated. Please go ahead, Mr. Wadsworth. Thanks, Operator. Good morning and welcome to the Connexus Earnings Call. Today, we will be discussing our fourth quarter and year-end results, which we issued after closed markets yesterday. With me on the call are John Sicard, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Richard Monkman, our Chief Financial Officer, and Blaine Fitzgerald, our Executive Vice President of Finance. Before we get started, I want to emphasize that some of the information discussed in this call is based on information as of today, March 4, 2021, and contains forward-looking statements that involve risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially from those set forth in such statements. For a discussion of these risks and uncertainties, you should review the forward-looking statements disclosure in the earnings press release, as well as in Canaxis CDAR filings. During this call, we will discuss IFRS results and non-IFRS financial measures. A reconciliation between the two is available in our earnings press release and in our MD&A, both of which can be found on the Investor Relations section of our website, canaxis.com, and on CDAR. Participants are advised that the webcast is live and is also being recorded for playback purposes. An archive of the webcast will be made available on the IR section of our website, Neither this call nor the webcast archive may be re-recorded or otherwise reproduced or distributed without prior written permission from Canaxis. To begin our call, John will discuss the highlights of our quarter as well as recent business developments, followed by Richard and Blaine, who will review our financial results and outlook. Finally, John will make some closing remarks before opening up the line for questions. We have a presentation to accompany today's call, which can be downloaded from the Investor Relations homepage of our website, Canaxis.com. We will let you know when to change slides. I'll now turn the call over to John. Thank you, Rick. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. First, as always, I hope you and your families remain healthy. Nothing matters more. As vaccines are being rolled out and we head towards what we hope to be the ending stages of this pandemic, we're mindful that there's still lots of work ahead. So I encourage everyone to keep doing their part. We remain forever grateful to the frontline workers everywhere and extend our sympathies to families that have been deeply affected. I continue to be amazed at the resilience of Canaxis employees and their ability to remain efficient and effective during this prolonged work-from-home condition. As you can see on slide three, I'm very pleased to report that our quarterly results were once again very strong across the board, including SAS revenue growth of 24% to 39.8 million, total revenue of 54.9 million, and an adjusted EBITDA margin of 11%. Turning to slide four, We are also very pleased with our 2020 full-year financial results. Compared to our initial guidance for the year, we came in at the high end of our SaaS revenue growth target, and Matter exceeded every other target, including total revenue, subscription term license revenue, and adjusted EBITDA margin. I couldn't be more proud of the team for achieving our goals during such an unusual and unpredictable year. As you will see on slide five, and as we've previously mentioned, COVID had an effect on our markets, most notably mid-year in 2020, when we saw some deal delays and and in some cases, more scrutiny on overall deal size and project scope. As always, 
the bigger impact of such delays is on revenue in future periods. So the net effects have been factored into our 2021 <coughs> guidance. Q4, on the other hand, saw the return to very strong momentum, with incremental business significantly higher than the fourth quarter of 2019, and in fact, achieving the second highest quarterly incremental bookings performance ever. We also won a record number of new accounts in the quarter. This has reinforced our confidence for 2022 and the longer term. As you can see on slide six, during Q4 and since, we won a number of key customers, some of which I can name now. In life sciences and pharmaceuticals, Morphosis was joined the, uh, joined the Canaxis family. In high tech, we won Crestron Electronics, Cyan, and Marvell Technology Group. In the industrial market, we won ESCO, and I'm absolutely thrilled to name Mars as a global customer. Our customers tell us that the key reason we earn their business is our entirely unique concurrent planning value proposition and the unmatched platform that delivers it, rapid response. Additionally, just last week, we were positioned furthest on the completeness of vision access and in the leader's quadrant of the 2021 Gardner Magic Quadrant for Supply Chain Planning Solutions. And we're also recognized for the ability to ex execute. This is the seventh consecutive time Canaxis has been named a leader in the Gardner Magic Quadrant related to supply chain planning, and we're thrilled with this recognition. Another reason for our recent success is the rapid growth in our sales team over the last three years. Today, almost half of our account executives have over 18 months' experience. An important milestone, as our typical sales cycles are 12 to 18 months. This season group is ready to fully contribute. Finally, we're seeing momentum around our Rapid Start program, our offering that takes full advantage of our knowledge of industry best practices to set customers on the path to supply chain transformation in as little as 12 weeks. We're thrilled to have several recent customers take advantage of this program. COVID has made companies increasingly aware of the need for a rapid return on investment to de-risk major pur purchase decisions. We believe that Rapid Start can accelerate new customer adoption, and while initial deals may be smaller, they offer tremendous expansion upside as customers see value from rapid response. Assuming the continued recovery to a more normalized business environment, we expect our current momentum and positive outlook will support our target of 23 to 25% SaaS growth in the midterm, including 2022. Our 2020 year-end sales pipeline grew by more than 40% from 2019, as manufacturers continue to recognize the urgency in driving hyper-agility in their supply chain. We made several key strategic investments in 2020, both, both organically and by acquisitions, which will better enable us to execute on this growing pipeline, accelerate our product innovation, and exceed the needs of our growing customer base. I'm confident that Canaxis has quite simply never been more relevant or in a better position than we are today. I'll make a few more comments about that at the end of the call, but for now, I'll ask Richard and Blaine to discuss results for Q4 and the year, as well as our outlook for 2021. Thank you, John, and good morning. As a reminder, unless noted otherwise, all figures reported on today's call are in U.S. dollars under IFRS. Looking at slide seven, total revenue in the fourth quarter was down 2% to 54.9 million, as strong growth in both SaaS and professional services revenue was offset by the expected cyclical decrease in subscription term license revenue. SaaS revenue grew 24% to $39.8 million, driven by new customer wins, as well as the expansion of existing customer subscriptions. Subscription term license revenue was $1.9 million, down 84% from the comparable period but slightly ahead of our expectations for the quarter. 
This revenue item is linked to the normal renewal cycle of our customer-hosted software subscriptions. Our professional services activity was strong again, resulting in $11.3 million in revenue, or 27% growth, over the corresponding quarter of 2019. As previously noted, this revenue will vary from quarter to quarter based on the number, size, and timing of customer projects underway, as well as the proportion of work assumed by our partners. Maintenance and support revenue for the quarter was $1.8 million, a decrease from the same period in 2019. The decrease was solely due to a one-time adjustment to revenue allocated to the maintenance support component of an existing customer's subscription contract. Supported by a backlog of more than $12 million for 2021, we expect future maintenance support revenue to be just over $3 million per quarter. We continue to be pleased with the diversity and strength of our total revenue base. For the year, our 10 largest customers accounted for 27% of total revenues, with no individual customer accounting for greater than 10% of total revenues. Gross profit decreased 16% to $34.8 million, representing a gross margin of 63% compared to 74% in Q4 of 2019. The change reflects a few items. First, the significantly lower level of subscription term license revenue, which carries nearly 100% gross margin. We also made important strategic investments in our cost of revenue, including professional services, customer support, and SaaS delivery capabilities throughout 2020, organically as well as through acquisition. These investments will help Canaxis support our ever-expanding base of customers. Adjusted EBITDA margin in Q4 was 11% compared to 32% in the fourth quarter last year. In addition to the impact from the lower proportion of subscription term license revenue, we made major investments in our product development team in 2020, as well as grew our operating teams across the organization globally. Overall, including two acquisitions and our organic hiring, we grew the Canaxis team by roughly 50% in 2020. These investment initiatives are designed to further scale our operations to support anticipated revenue growth. We had a loss of $1.6 million in the quarter compared to $7.8 million profit in Q419, largely due to the factors I've just reviewed. Q4 cash from operating activities was $3.2 million compared to $8 million in the fourth quarter of 2019. At December 31, 2020, cash, cash equivalents and short-term investments totaled $213.1 million compared to $212.6 million at the end of 2019. During the year, we used approximately $62 million of our cash to fund our acquisition of RubiCloud and Prana, during the year. Moving to slide eight. Full year 2020 results included total revenue of 224.2 million, up 17% from 2019. SaaS revenue of 148.9 million, up 25%. Subscription term license revenue of 17.9 million, a decrease of 32%, which as we previously advised, is simply a reflection of 2019 being the high point of the normal three-year cycle of customer-hosted subscription renewals. Adjusted EBITDA margin of 24% compared to 30% in 2019, profit of 13.7 million compared to 23.3 million, and cash flow from operations of 59.5 million, up 62% from 2019. As noted on slide nine, our minimum contracted revenue backlog remains very strong. As of December 31st, 2020, it grew by 12% to 381.3 million, as detailed in note 16 to our financials. This amount includes 353 million of SaaS revenue backlog, which represents a 14% increase from December 31, 2019. Since uh, December 30th, 2018, Backlog has grown at a CAGR of 27%. Our 2020 year-end 
backlog will be recognized over the following periods. 158.9 million will be recognized in 2021, of which 144.5 million relates to SaaS business. 113.2 million will be recognized in 2022, of which 104.9 million relates to SaaS business. And 109.2 million will be recognized in fiscal 23 and thereafter, of which 104.1 million relates to SaaS business. Total bookings in Q4 were 61.5 million, of which SaaS revenue bookings were 58.4 million. As we announced yesterday, I will be retiring August 1st, at which time Blaine Fitzgerald, our executive EVP, will transition into the CFO role. It has been an absolute privilege to help Canaxis in its success in becoming an innovative, high-growth, profitable public company. While it's been a pleasure working in high-tech for the last 40 years, the past 15 years with Canaxis have been the most rewarding and challenging by far. While Canaxis has amazing technology and customers, its people have made the difference. Blaine has been an outstanding contributor since we recruited him one year ago. As part of that transition plan, Blaine will be joining Rick and I to support a number of investor meetings in the months ahead. As you will have the opportunity to meet Blaine, I know you will also be impressed by his proven understanding of our business, personal integrity, and strong financial skills. I know I'm leaving Canaxis in great hands. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Blaine to discuss our guidance for 2021. Thanks, Richard. It's been an exciting year, and it's been invaluable to work so closely with you throughout. I look forward to continuing your record of success at Canaxis. I also look forward to getting to know all the shareholders, analysts, and investors on this call over the coming months. If you move to slide 10, as John explained, the COVID-related delays we experienced in the middle of 2020 have a bigger impact on 2021 SaaS revenue than in 2020. That is simply the nature of a subscription business model and long sales cycles. Given that fact, the backlog Richard just outlined, and our current outlook, we are introducing guidance for 2021. We expect 2021 SaaS revenue growth to be between 17% and 20%, still a very healthy outlook given the circumstances. As we've previously communicated, based on the normal cycle of customer-hosted subscription renewals, we expect subscription term license revenue to be between three and $5 million in 2021. The underlying base of subscription business from these customers remains materially unchanged from 2020 and recent years. We expect total annual revenue for 2021 to be in the range of 242 to $247 million. We expect an 11 to 14% adjusted EBITDA margin for 2021. This estimate is primarily a reflection of COVID-related incremental subscription booking delays in 2020, the lower proportion of subscription term license revenue in 2021, which, compared to 2020, drives an approximate $14 million reduction uh, in adjusted EBITDA on its own, and the strong level of strategic investments we undertook in 2020, which is setting us up very well for future growth and scale. Looking at other financial targets for 2021, we expect a gross margin in the 63 to 65% range. Sales and marketing to be approximately 24 to 26% of revenue. R&D to be roughly 24 to 26%, and G&A to be in the 16 to 18% range. Finally, CapEx will be between 33 and $38 million. This amount is roughly equally split between significant expansions to our data center capacity to support our growing customer base and investments in our new Canaxis headquarters. When the building is ready in early 2022, we will be excited to bring the team back together to a new, safe, state-of-the-art facility that will help us attract world-class talent. Moving on to slide 11, consistent with the strong bookings momentum we started to experience in Q4 and our elevated end-of-year pipeline, we anticipate that 2021 will be a much better year for signing incremental business and winning new customers. At this time last year, before the pandemic, we stated our belief that 23 to 25% SaaS revenue growth was sustainable over the midterm. We delivered that performance in 2020, 
largely off the support of strong bookings in fiscal 2019. While the COVID-related delays from last year forced a slight deceleration in SAS growth in 2021, we continue to believe that 23 to 25% SAS growth is achievable again in 2022. In 2022, we will also hit the peak of our renewal cycle for on-premise customers. So subscription term license revenue should grow to 24 to $26 million in that year, and gross margins should expand to the high 60s. Our operating expense growth rate will also temper over the next couple of years. So we, do ex we would expect adjusted EBITDA margin to be, uh, to be in the 20% range for 2022. Naturally, we will provide specific guidance on our usual schedule. We see room for improvement in SaaS growth, gross margin, and adjusted EBITDA margin in the longer term. As always, we are building for the long term and will make investment decisions <coughs> based on what we deem to be in the long-term interests of the company at that time. Thank you for your continued support of Canaxis. With that, I will turn the call back over to John. Thank you, Blaine. Turning to slide 12, as I mentioned earlier, I'm very confident that Canaxis has never been in a better position in our markets. I'd like to briefly touch on some further elements of our strategy that are key to supporting our growth ahead. Our pace of innovation has accelerated, and we remain fully focused on product dominance in our field. Our sales team can already offer our customers and prospects more value than ever before, and we're releasing even more revenue-generating product capabilities later this year, like our AI-enabled command and control center. We will also continue to remain open to product-enriching acquisitions. We will continue to significantly expand our data centers to ensure an ongoing premium level of service delivery to our customers. We are also continuing to grow the programs and points of engagement with our existing customers, including up to the most senior level executives, to ensure that we're consistently exceeding their expectations. We're getting greater support at each step of the customer engagement process by a rapidly expanding group of partners. We recently signed five new system integrator partners who will take on professional services engagements to help our global customer base digitally transform their supply chains. We also brought on five new referral partners, both consultancies and solution providers who are equipped to recognize the fit between prospects' business needs and rapid response capabilities. We expect to release details of these new relationships soon. And finally, our brand new solution extension partners are helping Canaxis expand rapid responses capabilities for enhanced customer value, greater stickiness, and entirely new revenue opportunities. You can expect us to add more new partners across every category in 2021. All of these developments would be impossible without our amazing team and our people matter here culture that we support and create every day. On that note, I would like to say a personal thank you to Richard. He's been an invaluable partner to me and the full Canaxis family throughout his long tenure. He has helped Canaxis grow, been a diligent corporate steward, taken us public and dedicated himself to making sure that the investment community understands our performance and future opportunities. Truly, the company would, wouldn't be in the excellent position it is in today without his very significant contributions. I'm grateful to Richard for ensuring that the transition of his role will be entirely seamless, and I look forward to continuing to work side-by-side -side with such a great talent as Blaine. Finally, as always, Thank you all for taking the time to join us on the call today. With that, I'll turn the line over to the operator for Q&A. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad to be placed into queue. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, press the pound key. And please limit yourself to two initial questions. Thank you. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And your first question comes from Richard C. with National Bank Finance. Yes, uh, thank you. Just uh, first off, wanted to say uh, congratulations to both uh, Richard and Blaine for your respective retirement and promotion here. Um, John, it's nice to see the backlog trending up here. When it comes to your prospects in general, what have been the conditions that they've been waiting for to really make decisions to move ahead? And do you think that's uh, pretty much behind us now and um, uh, you know, how, how we look at this going forward? Thanks. It's a, it's a very uh, great question, Richard. And you know, it, the easy answer is um, time to value. Uh, under COVID, you know, most, our, the customers and prospects that we're talking to today are looking for extremely rapid, you know, healing, if you will. Um, every manufacturer that we talk to is in a state of, of pain. Um, and so they're looking for their own inoculation. This is the start of a transition. This is a start of their uh, transformation. Uh, but as I, I said in the opening remarks, you know, the rapid start uh, program is, is, uh, is gaining speed. And it's because, you know, our prospects and the pipeline that we're looking for, they're looking for value within the three to five month time frame. Uh, you know, they're looking to feel better fast. And, th- and that's the, you know, I'd say the, you know, the, the prominent uh, change in terms of the discussions we're having with prospects. Okay, great. And then um, you showed a chart in the deck uh, on the sort of the Gartner landscape here. So when you look at the, the bids that you're involved in today and, and certainly the pipeline, are you seeing kind of uh, the same level or fewer competitors in the, in the market today? You know, we're still seeing uh, the same level, you know, traditionally, and, and it continues to be the case. Uh, you know, the large e- ERP providers such as SAP tend to be the incumbents, um, and that, that remains to be um, consistent. Uh, we certainly see others, you know, uh, in the mix as well. It's a competitive landscape, as Gartner has, uh, has described. Um, but I wouldn't say there's a, a significant shift in, in who we typically see. Uh, I will say that this notion of driving hyper agility um, is has become um, incredibly, um, you know, our customers are incredible and prospects are incredibly aware of that. You know, every supply chain is has found itself in the same condition, right? The, you know, I'd say the pure math-based models are in a state of flux; yeah. they're in a state of shock. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of our prospects are, are learning what it feels like to have a, an agility muscle that has atrophied. And, and that's why they're turning, you know, they're turning around thinking, okay, incrementalism is dead. We, we need a giant breakthrough here. And they're turning to, to uh, end-to-end concurrency as a, as a base model. That's great. Thanks. I'll pass the line and get back into queue. And your next question comes from Stephanie Price with CIBC. Good morning. Congrats, uh, Richard, on your retirement and and welcome, Blaine. Um, I I just had a a question around the 2021 subscription guidance, and I was just curious if it was impacted by any additional non-renewals. If you could talk a little bit about the the customer churn right here. Thank you, uh, Stephanie, for your, your, your best wishes and, and, uh, and a very good question. Um, we continue to have uh, over 100% subscription renewal, um, uh, sorry, net, oh, sorry, 100% net revenue retention. 
And no, it has not been. Uh, we noted uh, the, the main uh, implication really has been those headwinds that we experienced. And uh, earlier in the year, we've now uh, continued to build uh, not only the funnel, but also the sales team. And so uh, you know, we're very confident with the uh, guidance that we provided both for 2021 as well as in the, uh, in the midterm. Okay, great. And maybe on that that, uh, that sales pipeline and, you know, congrats on that Q4 bookings momentum. Are you seeing the sales process start to normalize here? It sounds like maybe that's, uh, that's the commentary that, that you're giving. Just wanted to confirm that. Yeah, I, I you know, definitely the, you, you can see that, you know, I'd say the middle of 2020 is when we felt, um, you know, I'd say the, the COVID-related headwinds. Um, and and coming out of, of Q4, uh, we saw the momentum with you know the second best uh, you know bookings performance um, in our history, and uh, we started Q1 very strong. You know, so you know obviously we're we're optimistic that we're uh, you know we're out of the uh, the COVID headwinds here, but uh, as you can appreciate, we can't necessarily see all the things in our in our future, um, but all things remaining you know, the same in terms of uh, the recovery, the business conditions recovery, we feel like the, the momentum will continue. Great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Paul Steep with Scotiabank. Great morning. Uh, congrats, Richard, on the uh, retirement and welcome, Blaine. Um, if we circle in on the level of investment that you're continuing in the business in 21. What are the key metrics as a team you're watching that give you confidence on, you know, sustaining that level of investment? And what would you look to to maybe either temper or increase or decrease that volume? Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll start and and maybe pass that on to to um, Richard and Blaine. But first, it's uh, the growth in the funnel. You know, we we have a very rigorous process in terms of how we scrub and how we validate uh, anything that enters into it. You know, we've been, it's just the way we are. We don't know another way to be. Uh, and so, you know, when, when we saw the, and, and it was expected, I mean, supply chains, you know, the supply chain transformation and supply chain excellence are on the lips of everyone. Uh, you know, teenagers know what it is now. And so, as you know, as you would imagine, um, and as, transpired throughout the year the pipeline grew by 40 percent we we all we we know that there's some length to sales cycles these are not simple decisions that that these manufacturers are making they're making a you know a generational shift um, in in and what governs their supply chain but we do not want to be crushed by that success and so you know we're investing ahead of that uh, ahead of that pipeline so that is first and foremost the driver for how um, you know how we budget our expenses and our and our investments, Richard. Maybe I'll ask. Yeah, you. and and, uh, and and Paul, as you can appreciate, the there are certain expenses which I, I would sort of really equate as a step function. So uh, during the year, and, and primarily with the uh, the acquisition of the RubyCloud team, we had an opportunity to do a significant increase into our R and D capabilities and and strengthen our our our, our, our AI as well as uh, uh, support for CPG and, and retail. So when we grab that opportunity, you know, we're going to see a, 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 not a, a significant increase in R&D this year, but it was, you know, key to do that. Similarly, what we've done is we've um, uh, increased our investment and in, in basically our capabilities of supporting customers throughout the world. So that includes a combination of data centers, and so we're continuing to invest uh, capital and people in, in those data center capabilities. The uh, global customer care organization, which is so critical to continuing the connection with customers, uh, we have regionalized that to a, to a much larger degree. Uh, and we've uh, strengthened our, our, um, our capabilities in marketing, uh, as you know, recognized, and, and uh, I think you, you did attend the, the virtual connections and other activities. So there was a number of uh, initiatives that we did, and, and that really resulted in that 50% or more increase in, in people this year. Again, now that we've made those key investments, it's a matter of, of looking towards our return on those investments. And, and so it's a matter of really the timing of that uh, subscription revenue growth in the out years 
aligning. So I, I think we probably are at a higher level of, uh, from an operating margin perspective, uh, R&D, uh, uh, G&A marketing this year. But, um, um, you know, that's, again, as our cadence will provide guidance for 2022 uh, next year. Okay, just to follow up on that, can we talk a little bit about the velocity of new product development, namely RubaCloud, and, and are those products that you're investing and in, <clears throat> ramping on this year, are those fully factored into the F22 uh, guidance in terms of the return to the sort of 23% plus range, or is that incremental that we should think about it? Thanks. Yeah, so, um, you know, I... From my perspective, I think 2020 was was a year where we produced more innovations than any that I can recall, at least in in uh, immediate uh, time frame. It was a great year for innovation, and anyone who attended the connections, the virtual connections conference, of which we had, you know, just unbelievable 3,000 people registered. <coughs> Um, witness. Um, there was some some uh, amazing innovations, and those are slotted to be in generally available state uh, as part of 2021 on, on the roadmap. And so, yes, we have factored all of that in, um, you know, as not only our 2021 guidance, but as well as 2022. As it relates to RubaCloud, uh, the thesis behind it, um, as mentioned in previous calls, you know, was the you know the the fact that they had filled white space in in market segments that we already serve, um, you know, predominantly a CPG and to some extent uh, life sciences, and I'm pleased to say that that thesis has come to fruition through 2021. The other uh, key thesis was the strength of their machine learning bench and um, essentially doubling our own, uh, and and that uh, integration has gone exceptionally well. And the fourth being their um, attraction in the in the retail space, um, and so you know we're going to continue the integration step. I'd say the third element of that thesis is uh, is the biggest lift of them all, uh, where where we're integrating their their technology stack uh, along with ours, and that's been factored into our investment in 2021, as well as uh, the predicted uh, return on that investment in 2022 and beyond. Thank you. Your next question comes from Paul Treber with RBC. Oh, thanks very much and good morning and uh, just congratulations to, to Richard and Blaine. Uh, just in regards to the, the disclosure on incremental bookings, you know, which I think is, is very helpful, the, when you look at the, the year in its entirety, um, you know, it still looks like there was obviously a, a headwind from COVID in the in the middle of the year, and and, and uh, you know as a result, the year looks it looks down a little bit. The, um, you know, how much bookings do you think have have shifted to the right as a result of delays around COVID, um, and do you expect those to close, uh, you know, in the next uh, several quarters and sort of get back on track? Well, th well, thanks, Paul. And so, you know, so. The short answer is yes. The, uh, you could see uh, from the results that we published how strong Q4 was, and as John noted, uh, you know we have been uh, you know continue to close business uh, in this in this quarter, which we'll be sharing with you when we uh, provide the you know, Q1 numbers, obviously. But there's another trend that has uh, has been very interesting, and that is the expansion component of our business. So these are customers. Uh, signing up for you know broader use of rapid response, some of the new uh, innovative services and, and applications that John has, has discussed, we're seeing uh, an, an increase in that waiting. And so you know while the time we went out as a public company was about 50/50, and it sort of morphed with the the focus on some very very large new name customers down to the sort of two thirds, one third, two thirds being with new name customers. Over the last couple of years, it's, it's returned. Uh, to a, a more of a 60, 40 weighting, and even you know a bit higher, maybe in the 55% for for new names. So, uh, and that is a combination of not only those services, but also the focus, the dedicated sales team now just working with our growing base of customers. And so, you know, the dynamic is yes, uh, you know, those the, we have some of the headwind uh, issues that we we talked about earlier for new name customers, but we've got a very strong base of existing customers that we continue to expand into. And so 
Uh, those, I think, are, are reflected in some of those dynamics. Thanks, that's helpful. And then just secondly, I was hoping, could you touch on the, the patent dispute that came up this quarter to the extent that you can directly speak about it or maybe just indirectly, you know, what's been the impact or not on either bookings or just discussions uh, with customers? Well, it's uh, certainly not something that we're going to discuss in this venue, um, given the nature of the issue. Um, and, and when there is meaningful development, you know, we'll certainly um, share that. We'll let our news releases do uh, the talking for us. But uh, I will say that we look forward to fighting fairly with Blue Yonder in the marketplace as we uh, continue our journey here. But, John, I don't think we've had any customer uh, from a sales perspective impact, so. No, no. Your next question comes from Thanos Miskopoulos with BMO Capital Markets. Hi, good morning. Um, I'll echo the congratulations to uh, Richard and Kablain. Um in terms of the guidance, um, if I take your uh, SaaS revenue for Q4 and I annualize it, that gets me to 90% of your 21 SaaS guidance. And that's a higher coverage ratio than we've seen in prior years. Um, so I guess my question is, you know, is, is there some reason or explanation uh, for that? Does that imply uh, maybe some incremental conservatism on your part or in, in, any reason to, uh, to count for that? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Thanos. And, um... Looking forward to getting to know you, you better throughout. The, uh, so the way that we look at our guidance, and, and we are pretty happy with the, uh, the guidance that we provided, uh, we, we look at it more as, as a, in terms of the opening backlog at a point in time. So our opening backlog at uh, the beginning of 2020, for example, worked out to about 83% of our uh, ending SAS revenue. And so if we take that same uh, proportion going forward in that same ratio, uh, our guidance for 2021 and going forward is going to be exactly on par with what we saw historically. I guess my thought on that was that the um, opening backlog doesn't take into account um, anticipated um, renewals, which, which you probably know are coming. Um, whereas looking at Q4 annualized, that might take those future renewals into account. But um, at any rate, I'll, I'll move on to a different question. Um, if well, I look at the, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, Thanos, and, and, and I, you, you, you did pick up that very good point in your, in your, in your research, and that absolutely that, you know, that extra twenty odd percent, uh, eighteen twenty percent, is uh, going to be driven by renewals, by new name wins and expansions, and so absolutely it depends upon the timing of, 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 of those renewals in the year. Uh, you know, we are. You know, we do have some lumpiness, and, and what's really critical is is uh, within the current year is the timing of when we secure a new name win. So obviously, if we we close a you know a customer on July 1st, a new name customer, there's six months of revenue. But you know, assuming a three-year term, you know, it's 100% impact in the in the out years. And so uh, when we look at the, uh, as Blaine noted, we, we look at a number of measures, and one of them being the, 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 the minimum committed backlog, but it's also looking at the funnel and the, and the turnover and, and, and just sort of allowing for where we think those timing of the deals will occur. And, 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 and as is our practice, what we'll do is we'll update, uh, uh, we'll update you and the, uh, and the rest of the, uh, the market each quarter as we, uh, as we move through this journey on, on new name wins. So, there's, uh, you know, at this juncture of the year, uh, the, the best guidance really is to sort of use our rule of thumbs with regards to the uh, the, uh, the backlog. Okay, I appreciate that, caller. Um, and, and then next, if I look at um, the uh, backlog, it suggests that um, you have 12 million of term license revenue and backlog for 21. You're guiding for only three to five billion. Uh, can you help us understand that dynamic? Well, there's 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 two elements. So. Um, uh, just a very, very brief refresher for customer-hosted subscriptions. So, you know, that same three-year commitment that we'll get from a customer, but they want to host it, and we're supporting them hosting it. We have to take that and split into two components, the right-to-use component, which is the subscription term license, 
and then the maintenance support, which is the residual. So the maintenance support is taken rateably, but the subscription term, as you know, is taken up front. And so what's what's noted the 12 million the backlog is that maintenance support. So that is that really covers that whole base, and we've noted about it's a three-year cycle whereby you know 2022 will be a return to the the peak level of that uh, from those existing customer renewal. But the maintenance support is is pretty level, and so uh, you know that one element where we've guided to you know just over three million a quarter. You can see that substantial. Well, it's, it's all in backlog um, as of this uh, at the at this time, and and that backlog will increase as we close the uh, uh, the as we close the anticipated level of activity for those customers this year. But that is at the low point of the three-year cycle, and that uh, the right to use component is the three to five million subscription uh, term license that we're guiding to. So does that help? So. You know, we're at a low point, but it's going to fill up the uh, the, the backlog for the main support component. But it's 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 going to be at the low point for the subscription term license. Okay, no, that helps. I, I just thought from the disclosure that twelve million was going to fall into the term license, but you, you clarified that. Um, no, no, that, that is the main support. That's yeah. right. Okay. All right. Thanks, Alpha. We do have. Sorry, by the way. Sorry, by the way. Sorry to interrupt, Matthias. We do have, as you can see, also. Two point call two point two million secured of that three to five million number that we discussed. Okay, great. Your next question comes from Deepak Kafal with Stiefel GMP. Oh, hi guys. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. I've got you know follow up congratulations and follow up questions uh, to everyone else. Um, you know, John, we talked about or you mentioned competition earlier in the call. Um, in terms of incumbents versus, um, you know, can access. I was wondering if you could comment on the level of competition you're seeing in terms of the pace of innovation. And, you know, is there is there a, a shift in your view on profitability versus, you know, accelerating a pace of innovation here in the, in the market? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'd answer it this way. In the conversations that I'm having, uh, and I've had a lot of them in the last six months, I spend an awful lot of time with the most senior leaders of some of the largest uh, customers and obviously prospects. Um, and what I'm hearing, as I mentioned, is this notion that incrementalism is dead. That, you know, these, uh, these practitioners, these leaders, are looking for a step function. They're looking for a generational shift. They're recognizing that the past 30 years, has, you know, we followed, you know, the governance models that have that have, uh, you know, that have been used to implement supply chains are failing, and and perhaps COVID has accelerated the need for this level of uh, of transformation. So I might I might say that um, innovation is everything. You know, they're looking to, you know, these practitioners, these chief supply chain officers, are looking to leave it better than they got it. They're looking to set you know, the next generation on a positive path. Um, and, and they recognize that, you know, moving from a cascaded, pure math-based solution, uh, you know, accuracy without agility, uh, this isn't the path, right? They're looking for a situation where accuracy and agility can live in perfect harmony. And, and this is where innovation, um, this is where innovation matters, quite honestly. And, and, and why I'm, I'm, uh, as confident as I am, um, knowing that the last 25 years at Canaxis has been about driving hyperability for 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 companies that um, that need it, and arguably we've never been in a state uh, you know, with more volatility. You know, there's a lot going on, and you know, uh, not only with regulations, and there's a lot of people wondering what will the future regulations be? Is there going to be some onshoring regulation? Uh, there's a lot at stake here, and so agility becomes a critical uh, competency, I will say. So perhaps a long-winded but passionate statement about why I believe um, innovation is so critical, uh, you know, to set, you know, set uh, these companies on a successful course for the next 30 years. Got it. But just, you know, just to ask it a different way, for the next three to five years, do you think you'll have to spend more as a percentage of your revenue to maintain your innovation lead in the market? Or, or can you get back to the 30% margins of the past and still maintain that innovation lead? 
Oh, I I think that we uh, you know we can get we can get back to that. Uh, we've always said it aspirationally. We're you know we've always said thirty thirty, uh, and that's been aspirational. Uh, and we do believe you know that that the future uh, in the future we'll get back to uh, you know closer to that range. Got it. And then just one last question for for Richard before uh, he moves off to his next chapter. Um, you know, gross margins are below 70% now. Is there a structural change here now that you have a higher mix of costs related to your data centers? And, 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 and likewise, is there a structural mix in the, in the cash versus non-cash portion of cost of goods sold? Any, any color you can help you can give there would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, sure. So absolutely, we're making investments. In fact, we're making investments in, in all three components of the cost of revenue, which are, are in our case, our professional services, the, uh, the broader customer success organization, and then the, the data center. Um, and now a lot of the data center costs are, are, are on a P&L basis, are, are amortization. So, you know, they do not impact uh, adjusted EBITDA. But in terms of, of your structural question, it really is because of the, uh, the weighting of the subscription term license revenue. And at this juncture, you know, about two-thirds uh, of our revenue is, is SaaS. Uh, and, you know, uh, and, and a lesser amount is uh, related, uh, obviously, to uh, the subscription term licenses. Uh, so about 8% or so. And, but the subscription term licenses on that three-year cycle have been really with long-term customers. And so as we continue to grow uh, our, our, our SaaS business, and that is a higher margin business, uh, we're going to see a higher weighting and mix of that in the, uh, in the overall uh, revenue line. It's going to have less of an, of an impact as we continue to, to expand our revenue, this subscription term license. And so, uh, you know, as John said, I, I, I see no reason why we couldn't move back towards that sort of 70% level. So we're going to continue to absolutely invest, um, but as the weighting of the subscription term license, uh, sorry, as the weighting of the SaaS revenue uh, continues to grow, that is going to drive, uh, that's probably the biggest driver for uh, gross profit. Got it. Thanks again. Your next question comes from Suthan Sukumar with 8 Capital. Good morning, gents, and uh, congrats, Richard, and uh, great to meet you, Blaine. Looking forward to working together. Um, the first question I had was on new customer wins. Um, you know, when considering some of the newer product capabilities like Rubik Cloud and Rapid Response, a platform that that um, you as a company have introduced recently, what are you seeing differently around the scope of solution um, being purchased today with some of your newer client wins? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in large part, um, a couple of things that we're seeing with net new. One, uh, the most expensive decisions, uh, or I'd say the most expensive mistakes that happen in supply chain happen on the demand side. Uh, if you get your demand wrong, um, if you're unable to respond to, to conditions of demand, it has massive downstream um, pain, downstream impacts. And so we're, we're definitely seeing that as the primary motivator uh, you know, towards, um, you know, towards transformations. Um, but as I, I noted earlier, I'm also, you know, we're also seeing the, the, the importance of speed, you know, um, back to this, this rapid start uh, program where people are saying, hey, can you make me feel better, okay, in three to five months? I, I recognize that, you know, wholesome transformations can take um, significant amounts of time for large corporations, large global corporations, but make me feel better in, in three months or less, you know, in that kind of time frame. And, uh, and so we're seeing those two, those are the two, I'd say, elements now where, you know, the speed, the, the speed to, to go live, okay, uh, becomes a critical factor, and it is typically focused on, um, uh, on the demand side. The thing that we're seeing, and, and again, it's quite natural, you would see as a result of COVID, in some cases, demand is going through the roof for some, and demand is, is falling under the floor for others. And, and that disruption, regardless, um, you know, requires a lot of agility, uh, you know, to either maximize the opportunity and, and you know, uh, 
you know, make sure that you leave no no order um, uh, unfulfilled, or that you can slow the supply chain down and make sure you don't end up with um, you know ballooning inventories. Great, no, that, that, that's helpful. Um, and it sounds like the Ruby Cloud integration is uh, progressing well. Um, any update here on your thoughts on M&A going forward? Do you see potential for more transactions this year as part of your overall growth strategy? So, so, so thank you for that question. Indeed, the you know as I mentioned earlier, the thesis behind the RubiCloud acquisition uh, you know sort of had three three prongs to it, and um, you know the first two and the people side of things, despite being uh, you know under under these uh, isolation type conditions. Um, have been successful. Uh, we're thrilled with the talent and the management team and uh, and the intellect that uh, that comes with, along with that um, with that acquisition. And we're also happy to have added some customers uh, based on the technology that they they brought with them. Um, I will say that the the integration of the technology stacks as it relates to entering the retail market is a heavier lift. It requires some R and D, some continued R and D. Which we'll, uh, you know, we're obviously investing in through uh, through 2021. You know, we've we've said this, and I said it earlier as well. Yes, we are uh, being a lot more thoughtful about accelerating, uh, you know, customer value through through acquisitions, and uh, and we're going to continue to be thoughtful through 2021 and beyond. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Young with Canaccord Genuity. Hi, good morning. Um, congratulations, Richard. It's been a lot of fun working with you the last several years, and um, it's good to meet you, Blaine. Um, the, uh, I'll ask both questions at the same time to speed it along. Uh, the first one, the, uh, the middle of the year, it sounds like you're telling investors that the, um, the, the primary issue was customers that wanted immediate returns. They weren't able to get it, and so they are delayed um, planned uh, deployments of Canaxis. And so that, that suggests there's a bit of de uh, uh, pent-up demand. Um, would you say that that uh, is correct? And that's, maybe that's reflected in the 40% pipeline growth. And then the second part of the question would be around, maybe just a continuation of Thanos' question around the, uh, the way that you calculate the, uh, uh, your guidance. It's purely mathematical based on the uh, backlog uh, at that time. And so that pent up demand or any any kind of demand that wasn't able to convert in the middle of the year, despite high level of demand, um, that would not be included in the guidance, if I understand the way you described it, um, or uh, or correct that if, if you could, and then I'll pass the line. Thanks, Rob. I'll answer the first uh, half of that question and pass it off to Blaine for the <clears throat> second half. On the, on the pipeline um, uh, question, uh, you're correct in, in that, you know, I'd say the trough uh, occurred sort of mid-year. And I, you know, while I can, I can only theorize, you know, what was the cause of that trough, I can imagine, uh, and in fact, in speaking to chief supply chain officers, many of them were just absorbing the condition that they were in, right, recognizing that they had never, ever experienced as, I mean, humanity, you know, the current planet has never experienced a, a global pandemic. It's been over 100 years. So, so uh, I would say that you know middle middle of the year, uh, many many organizations were taking a pause and trying to figure out how to absorb the condition they found themselves in, and and that caused the delay I think in in, in terms of um, of deal flow, and uh, you know if I look at Q4, I might believe that you know those delays are are behind us and we're seeing some momentum now, um, and and looking at the start of Q3, I might feel the same way. Obviously, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic in that I can't predict what else will happen with COVID and, and COVID variants um, and the like. Um, I do think that you know organizations now uh, you know they're well past sort of the 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 main event of COVID and recognizing that okay I get it we need a transformation and they're now exploring their options and I think that. Uh, you know, every boardroom, I, I, I've had this conversation with a lot of chief supply chain officers and, and they've agreed. Every board is asking their CEOs, what will you do next time? 
And that's what's fueling this desire to transform, right? This need, um, you know, to look at, at what governs supply chains uh, differently. And, and, uh, and so I think that is fueling the, uh, the pipeline for us and the, and the 40% growth that we've seen. I'd say the second half of the year we saw, uh, you know, more acceleration. Uh, but I'll, I'll turn it over to Blaine, to, Blaine to, to comment on your question about guidance. Yeah, so if you go back to uh, the conversation on SaaS guidance, there's really um, two main components that we look at uh, beyond the opening backlog. And uh, one of those is, is renewals, and it, it depends on the renewal cycle that we have at any point in time. Uh, 2021 um, is going to be a, a, a lighter renewal cycle than we, we see in most years, so that isn't as big a factor in how we come up with our guidance. The, the other factor, obviously, is exactly what you talked about, which is uh, pipeline and pipeline conversion throughout the year. Now, when we, we consider it, we, we obviously don't look at just the, the annual pipeline. We look at it uh, from where we're, where the pipeline is looking to land for each quarter. Um, and the Q3 and Q4 conversions that we're ex expecting to have will have a much uh, smaller impact on 2021 uh, revenue guidance uh, going forward. So. We think that uh, what we have right now is the appropriate guidance for, for 2021. Um, uh, the, the start of the year, is we were very happy with where it started out. It's exactly on, on par with what we've expected. Um, and so uh, we're expecting to, uh, to, to hit that guidance uh, and uh, continue on. Great. Thanks. Maybe just a clarification on the first one with, uh, with John. Like did, did customers that wanted to deploy Canaxis, did they turn to other solutions they could roll out more quickly, or are they waiting for the right time to roll out Canaxis? Is maybe the, the, the underlying question there. No, I think it, it was more of, of a pause, uh, you know, not that they were, you know, looking for, for alternatives. I think uniformly, uh, you know, many organizations had to uh, absorb, understand and absorb the condition they found themselves in. You know, this is you know just a surreal situation for supply chains. And in conversations I was talking uh, and that I had, you know, I was hearing things like, you know, trusted lanes that you had for years were open one day, closed the next, open the next day. You know, things that you knew to be certain and trusted were were no longer trustworthy. And so many of them found themselves uh, just working to absorb the condition, let alone try to figure out how to establish, um, you know, future transformation. And, and so, you know, of course, I'm pleased to see many of those uh, customers that, that had taken pause um, or many of those prospects that had taken pause become customers, right? So, you know, I, that's, that's the way I would uh, describe the circumstance. Okay. Thanks. That's helpful. All right. And your last question comes from Daniel Chan with TD Securities. Thanks. And uh, congratulations, uh, Richard. Good to meet you, Blaine. I had some uh, questions about what's built into the guidance um, specifically for 2022 with the bookings accelerating near the end of the year uh, and given the, let's just call it a relatively easier year of year compared with 2021, um, what is the opportunity for the SaaS revenue in 2022 uh, to, to accelerate beyond that 23, 25%, especially if bookings really accelerate throughout this year? Yeah, I think, um, Thanks for the question. The the 23 to 25 percent is right now our our best judgment on where uh, we think 2022 will will land. However, uh, we will provide updated guidance as as we uh, go through the year. The, uh, the the bookings that we're we're expecting to see, the incremental bookings that we're expecting to see in 2021, um, should put us right in that range. But uh, again, if if we see Q3 and Q4 especially. Um, starting to uh, come in higher than we expect, uh, we will provide uh, updated guidance towards the end of the year. Um, at this point, we are we are thinking 2022. We're we're pretty excited. I, you know, with Richard transitioning out, it, I've been put in a fortunate position to have a, a business that's never been in a, a better position to to monetize off of some of the opportunities that we have in front of us. So, with the Gartner MQ coming out and, and having us position where we're where we are with our uh, mature sales staff, with a, a product investment that we're, we're investing uh, quite heavily in the current year, I think uh, we are going to be set up for a really great uh, 22 and beyond. So uh, it's exciting for me. Okay. 
that's helpful. And then maybe I'll ask Rob's question uh, a different way, his second question a different way. Um, so you, you're kind of looking at, you use your opening backlog and you kind of say that's 80% of your next year's revenue. With with the bookings momentum that you have, is there an opportunity that that the current backlog makes up less than 80% of the 2021 um, revenue if if the bookings really accelerate, especially uh, uh, as you're as you're exiting this year, maybe in the first half of the year, if bookings come in stronger. Does, is that an opportunity? Uh, that's not what we we see in the in the forecast at this stage. Um, uh, there's always an opportunity that that bookings can far outweigh what we what we're expecting, but um, at, at this stage, I think what we've provided in guidance is uh, our best judgment. And there are no more questions at this time. Great. Uh, thank you, everyone, for participating on today's call. We appreciate your questions and, as always, your ongoing interest and support at Canaxis. We look forward to speaking with you again when we report our Q1 21 results. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.